0: Well, Good morning. I ask you to turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20. We started these Ten Commandments. We're committed. Now we're going to make it to the end. So Exodus chapter 20, we're going to do the Seventh Commandment this morning. I'm going to go ahead and admit to you this is a weighty commandment with a weighty sermon. So I'm thankful already for Kevin Scott, Teresa for leading us. To point us to Christ through worship. Thankful for you guys every week, choir. I tell you what, I did this sermon in the first service and I was pretty pleased with it. So, what we've decided to do is I'm just going to play that one over again up here on the (laughs) screen and you can watch along. Y'all don't think so? Good. Um, It's important as we look to the Ten Commandments, I always consider that some of you may have joined us for the first time, maybe listening, so you come into a mid series I need to remind you so for those of you who have been with me every week this serves as a reminder for us but it's good for us to remember where we are in Exodus chapter 20 the people of God had been in bondage and slavery for 400 years in Egypt and God had raised up Moses and said it's time to call them out and so he went and Moses called God's people out of Egypt and in miraculous ways God demonstrated not only his power over the false gods of egypt but his power over the egyptian army and all of the world and he pulled his people out delivering them through the red sea bringing them through the wilderness providing for them every step of the way his protection his provision all the lord taking care of them and bringing them to mount sinai and in the process he identified them as his treasured possession And so here at Mount Sinai, he gathers them at the base of the mountain and the Lord comes down and he begins to speak to them out of the whirlwind of fire and smoke and the thunder. And so in Exodus chapter 20, God is speaking to his people. And I want to remind you that God not only uh, has saved them, but he wants to be with them. He's not only redeemed them, he wants to dwell with them and live with them. And so he gives them these commandments so that they may know how to dwell with the Lord. How to live in his presence with them and with one another. Now let me quickly, an important point that I'll say over and over again. These ten commandments are not given so they may know how to be saved. God states from the very beginning, I'm the Lord your God who called you out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery. In other words, I have already saved you. I've already redeemed you. I've already made you my own treasured possession. Now here's how you are to live in light of my salvation. And so the Lord calls his people there and says, here's how you're to live in light of the fact that I am your Redeemer and your Savior. Here's how you're to live not only in my presence but with others. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, as we've seen, is broken down into two tables, if you will. The first four commandments deal with the relationship that we have with God, the vertical relationship. No other gods before me. Don't make any carved images. Don't use my name in vain. And rest in me, the Lord says. These first four commandments are given. Here's how you are to interact with the Lord. And then the last six commandment five through ten is our relationship with others here's how you are to interact with the lord and now your horizontal relationships if you will how you are to relate to one another these commandments were not to be burdensome for the people they're not to be a burden for them to keep but they're to help them flourish the opposite of oppression The commandments were not given to hold them back, but to help them flourish as a people in God's presence in the land that he has provided for them. Remember this, God knows best. Can I get get one amen? Amen. Thank you. Just making sure because it's going to get rough here in a minute. God (laughs) knows best. The sooner we realize this, the better off we are the sooner we recognize that God's word for us, his commandments given to us are not oppressive as if they are something to hold us back, but they are absolutely freeing as to for us, for us to enjoy life and life to its fullest. Not only do they teach us how to love God, they teach us how to enjoy him. Not only do they teach us how to love God and love one another, they teach us how to enjoy Him. And that goes for the seventh commandment as well. In the seventh commandment we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the Lord speaking out of the thunder at Sinai says to His people, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And considering this verse this morning, we want to consider what God says biblical marriage is. We want to understand how Jesus in the New Testament teaches us about sexual sin and its relationship in our lives. And we want to believe in the Lord and flee to him. Flee to him. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We're desperate for you. And we thank you, God, that You have not left us guessing as to how you want us to live, but you have told us clearly. So God, help us in our efforts this morning to seek to understand and know you. Send us your Spirit to teach us through your Word what your Word teaches. And so God, help us to not set up any barrier against you as to oppose your Word, but to humbly come and welcome your Word and Spirit into our life so that we may grow closer to you. That may mean difficulty. That may mean pain, that may mean repentance, that may mean turning from sin, God, but show us this morning that whatever pain your word may cause us, the grace of Jesus Christ is greater. In all of this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our culture struggles mightily with the sin forbidden in the seventh commandment. There's really great relevance today. And no matter how hard it may be to preach this sermon and difficult it may be to hear it, I don't know of any other topics that could be more relevant. A quick run through the documentaries on any streaming device will show real life stories that have been ruined over and over and over again by sexual sin. If you look at the news, you see scandal after scandal, both in celebrity culture, political culture, anywhere you may look, wherever you may may want to turn, you will see how sexual sin and the disobedience to God's Word has brought destruction to life after life after life after life. I didn't need to convince you, I think, last week when we looked at you shall not commit murder, that we have a culture that loves violence. And I don't believe, I think I need to convince you this morning that we have a culture that is over sexualized. We have a culture that looks to this commandment and acts as if it's nothing there. Not only over sexualized, it is a culture that glamorizes this sin, that calls us to turn toward it, not away from it. And I believe that has led to the ruin of many. It's led to the ruin of many lives. Stories after stories. But you know, we don't just have to look at our culture. We don't just have to look at outside these walls, to be honest, to see the relevance of this commandment. This commandment bears or calls us to a sin that all of us struggle with. Even us in this congregation this morning. All of us struggle with this. And so before we point fingers outwardly to say, man, the culture needs to hear that, I want you to know that that's possibly the worst thing that you and I could do this morning. Possibly the worst thing we could do is say, I wish somebody else was here for this, I wish the culture would hear this message, it just needs to go out. What needs to happen this morning for each and every one of us is for us to examine our own hearts and our own lives. For us to look inwardly and say, what about me? What about me? Both outwardly and inwardly, we struggle with this. And before we get into it, you may think, oh, the preacher's done gone to meddling. Y'all heard that story before. He's stepping on my toes. You may think this is a private matter. You may think this is your business and nobody else's. But I'm here to tell you, that whatever obstacle or excuse you may put in the way of listening to this Lord this morning, you need to know that God puts a claim on every area of your life. He sets the standard for behavior in and for every area of your life. In private matters and in public matters, God has the claim on your life. Every thought and every action, in public or private, is carried out, not in any way other to be understood than before an audience of one, the Scripture says. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 39, a psalm that I turn to regularly just to consider the weight of this passage, to think about The Lord knows every deed. The Lord knows every action. And so never are these sins that we like to set aside really private matters at all. These things that we like to not talk about at parties, y'all know, that we don't want people to know the inward depths of us. We need to know this morning that the Lord knows every thought. Even the bad ones you forgot, the Lord knows those. He knows every deed. We live our life before an audience of one always. Never a time when he's not paying attention to us. Never a time when he's not noticing us. Never a time when he's not watching over us. The Lord knows everything about us. So do not fool yourself that you could be hiding some sin from us and think that you're okay. Do not fool yourself to think this is not public, it's private. I'll deal with it down the road. Don't fool yourself into thinking that this morning because God knows every thought in your head. He knows every deed and knows every action. So please, my request then is let's deal with it now. Let's discuss it. And when we consider the seventh commandment and we seek to understand this verse, We must first need, we first need to understand the biblical view of marriage, the biblical view of marriage itself in Genesis chapter two, in Genesis chapter two, you see God defining what marriage is. Adam and Eve, there in the garden. Adam is alone, and every creature is brought before him, and he seeks to name all of them, but at the end of it, there's not a mate one fit for him. And so as he goes through the whole line, he recognizes there's not one, so you see or you feel a little bit of sadness on Adam's part because he feels like he's alone, but that's not how God's going to design it to be because then God says in verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man and while he slept took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then Adam, who was a little bit sad because all the creatures came through and there wasn't one fit for him, Adam busts out singing, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Probably a lot like each and every one of you do every single day when you see your wife for the first time you sing and you rejoice over her therefore therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh here even before sin enters into the world as establishment a building block a foundation of all of humanity is the marriage relationship and we need to know that marriage is not considered outside of Scripture itself. God invented it. God designed it. God made it. God established it. And if that's the case, then God gets to define marriage. So let's be clear here in Genesis 2 of what this looks like. And without any fear on my part, boldly just simply saying, what does the Scripture says? Marriage is between man and woman god's definition he makes man he makes woman these are the only two genders that god makes by the way made for each other designed for each other and these two who are made exactly for each other join together in a one flesh union y'all get what i'm saying there right we'll keep it g-rated These two are made in such a way, so particularly in a way that they are made for each other, man and woman, made for each other in a one flesh union, which is called marriage. And the purpose of that marriage that we see is for them to fulfill the creation mandate, have more babies, fill the earth and multiply. And so man and woman made specifically for each other in this way, complementary together, they join together so as to make more in God's image and theirs. This becomes the definition of what marriage is. Man and woman joining together in a one flesh union to have children and multiply. But not only that, there's a deeper meaning behind what marriage is as well. In Ephesians 5, it tells us exactly what's going on here. Paul wants to say, in Ephesians 5, he starts with wives. Verse 22, he goes down to husbands. Verse 25, and when he gets to the husbands, he quickly, he quickly turns here. And he speaks more about Jesus than he does husbands even. He says what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He gives the definition of marriage and he says this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, your marriage becomes a picture of Christ's love for his bride. The marriage that Christ has for the church. And if you read Ephesians 5, through 33, there's no way that this makes any sense. There's no way that this makes any sense rather than with a husband and a wife. Man and a woman. And we must be clear about this. The world takes pride in opposition to this truth. We must be clear about this truth because the gospel is at stake. Y'all hear me when I say this. The reason why this is important is the very gospel itself is at stake. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Christ Jesus' love for his church is a glimpse, a picture of the marriage between a man and a woman. And so our marriage reflects the glory of God through Christ and his church. That's what we should be after. So the seventh commandment is about much more than just sexual sin, if you will. The seventh commandment is about protecting the gift of marriage and promoting the flourishing of the family as God has designed it. Protecting the gift of marriage and promoting the flourishing of the family as God has defined it. That's why the Bible says so much about sexual sin, by the way. Seeking to protect the gift of marriage and promoting the family As God designed it, the Bible speaks clearly about sexual sin. Listen to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 7. Jesus is going to make this clear. They're having this conversation about what makes you dirty, what defiles you, and they're saying all the stuff you eat, what goes into your body, and Jesus says that's not it at all. What goes into your body goes in and comes right back out. That doesn't do it. What comes out of your heart is what defiles you. And so Jesus wants to make this clear in chapter 7, verse 20. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. If you notice, this list here lists out so many of these Ten Commandments, breaking these, right? You have sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. All of these things are listed. This is what defiles you, is what comes out of your heart. Prominently on that list is that word, two words, sexual immorality. This is the Greek word porneia pornea can be understood easily outside of the scriptures themselves pornea was a word used in greek culture and in greek language elsewhere always it refers to a variety of illicit sexual practices including adultery fornication prostitution and homosexuality broader it means any sexual practice outside of marriage if you will The Lord lists pornea, sexual immorality, these things in a list of what defiles us. What's wicked? The one flesh part of marriage is meant for marriage. The scriptures teach us. And that, listen to me, brothers and sisters, friends, listen to me, that is for your good. It's for your good. The world's going to try to sell you a lie that all of these things are oppressive, that they're not allowing you to be you, they're not allowing you to have freedom, and sexual freedom's going to be offered to you over and over again. But what has been proven constantly, one time after another, is that freedom that you long for through the sexual immorality only leads you to greater slavery and bondage. Over and over again it does not deliver on the promises that it gives. It only wrecks lives and ruins them. And I'm sure there's testimonies in this room. I'm sure there's testimony after testimony in this room of those who've done it right and those who've done it wrong. And each and every time your testimony is going to come back, God knows best. God knows best. No matter how many ways the world tries to tell you that the Bible is oppressive and wrong on this, it always proves to be right and best over and over again. By the way, the Greek word pornea is the same word that we get the word pornography from. It's the root of that word. Even in its very word, we see the wickedness of it. Its claim and its wickedness are seen even in its title. And what we know is that pornography itself is destroying lives. I feel obligated at this point to say I'm sure that there's probably somebody in this room that is addicted to pornography. Looking and longing for something that it cannot deliver but only going back, feeding on the husks and the dust of it, never being satisfied. It can end today. That bondage and that slavery that you find in it can be over. It can end because what I'm telling you is this. You're looking for something it cannot deliver on, but what Christ is offering you can bring you what you want. Jesus takes it even further. By the way, if you are struggling with pornography, find a friend in this room, a brother or a sister that you can trust. I'm not asking you to run around floning that. Not at all. Find someone you can trust to go to privately that can help you walk you through this. If it needs to be me, by all means, I'm here. But you're not going to find the satisfaction and enjoyment of life until you get away from that bondage. And it's going to destroy you. If you don't end it, Jesus takes it even further here. We talk about that. And that's the outside. We've talked about the outside of this, right? Our actions and these commandments. Now let's talk about the inside and file this again in that category of things we wish Jesus hadn't said. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just like he did with you shall not murder. He does the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, sets up the same formula. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We can see the outside of this and that's where we can, we can say, hey, we're safe. But then just the moment we think we're safe, Jesus brings it right back to the very heart of the matter. And when he brings it back to the heart of the matter is when all of us in this room recognize the guilt that we have with the seventh commandment. He says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And yes, even though the Lord uses the man toward the woman, women, it is possible for you to do the same thing here. If you look at someone that is not your husband or your wife with lustful intent, this simply means a desire for, to covet, or to long for. This, again, is not the Lord trying to lay you down. It's okay to say somebody is handsome or somebody is pretty. That's not what he's talking about. Here what he's talking about is whenever you covet after someone who is not your wife or your husband, you desire for them, you long for them, Jesus says that is breaking the seventh commandment. That is... Sin, you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, why is this so important? This is tough, right? All of us deal with this. I'm not going to ask everybody to stand up who's committed this, because we know what will happen. Kevin, had y'all had them sit down early in the first service, y'all can go back and watch that. But why is this so important? Why do we harp on this? Why do we bring it up? Why don't we go into what's uncomfortable? It's so important because this is about life and death. And I'm not exaggerating. In Revelation chapter 20, you have the one who is seated on the throne. He's king of kings and lord of lords. In chapter 21, excuse me, there in verse 5. And listen to what he says. To those who thirst, I will give you the water of life without payment. Why? Because the payment has already been paid. I'll give you what you long for when you're thirsty. But then he turns it. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my own son. But, verse 8, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, same word, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire. If you're thirsty, the Lord will give you water without payment. But if you live in these sins without repentance, without seeking after the Lord, thinking that you're okay, you will receive the lake of fire. That's why I say this is life and death. That's why I say this is life and death. So what does Jesus say for us to do? Back in Matthew chapter 5, I got y'all jumping around a crazy. Jesus says, you've heard, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then he goes strictly into what to do in verse 29. In verse 29 of Matthew chapter 5, I want you to say this first. I want you to hear me when I say this. Jesus is using hyperbole. He's not speaking literally here. He's using hyperbole for a point, for an emphasis. Whenever you use hyperbole, which means strong exaggeration, he's doing it to drive home a major point. And so he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away it's better for you to lose one of your members than, the, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than that the whole body go into hell. Jesus just said that hell is going to be full of these cowardly, self, uh, selfish, and sexual, sexual uh, um, immoral, immoral people. I'm stumbling here, but I'm getting to a good point. Hell will be full of those who are sexually immoral. And so, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why does he say this? He's telling us that we must do whatever it takes. We must do whatever it takes to overcome this sin. His point is that whatever we need to do, we do it. If it's your computer that's causing you to sin, shut the thing, close it, and throw it away. You'll figure out something else. If it's a magazines, throw them away. If it's uh, whatever it may be, whatever's causing you to sin, end it, don't do it anymore. Find accountability, find someone to help you. Whatever it takes, get over this sin. Whatever it takes, stop doing it. Cease from doing it. That's what Jesus' point is. And hear me. Hear me when I say this, because this is important. There's not a person in here that has not struggled with and broken the seventh commandment before you think that your story of your life is less or that you're too broken you need to know that there is not a person in this room that has not broken the seventh commandment there's not a person here that does not struggle with this and you need to know something else there's not a person in this room that has a stroke, struggle with and broken this commandment, and there is not a person here in this room that is not loved by Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? oftentimes we feel in our brokenness that we're not worthy of his love oftentimes we feel in our sinfulness that we're not worthy of him and what he did for us I want you to know brothers and sisters there's not a person in here that has not broken this commandment or struggled with it and there's not a person in here that Jesus does not love and care for and he cares for you so repent and find rest repent and find rest flee from sin do whatever it takes to end it in your life here and run to Christ you may be broken feel defeated unwanted he wants you the second greatest love story in scriptures has been called as the story of Hosea the prophet Hosea was a prophet of God, and God told him to go take a wife, Gomer. And God told him, he said, Gomer, Gomer's going to sin against you. Gomer became a prostitute. Hosea married her, and she went and chased after other lovers. And she prostituted herself out over and over and over and over again. Having children with other men, even while she was married to Hosea. She became an embarrassment to Hosea, if you will. Everyone knew that was his wife, and everyone knew she was the talk of the town, the one who was out with anybody and everybody but Hosea. In time, through her sexual immorality, she was placed into slavery and bondage of another. And you get to Hosea chapter 3, and Hosea maybe thinks it's over, she's gone. He doesn't see his wife. She's had children with other men. She's been chased. She's been doing other things. And there, she's now in slavery and bondage. And Hosea has no way to get her back. Then he hears one day that Gomer is up for auction. She's on the auction block. Having been used, having been abused, having wasted her life away in sexual morality, she's no longer wanted. She's on the auction block. And there, with nobody making a bid on Hosea's wife, Gomer, with nobody speaking up, nobody wanting her anymore, Hosea, who's been faithful, Hosea, who's been true to his vow, Hosea, who's been there all along, even though Gomer has been out with other lovers, Hosea steps up in the middle of the crowd, humbles himself and says, I'll take her. I want her. It's my wife. And what the Lord teaches us through this is that relationship that Hosea has with Gomer is just like the relationship that the Lord God has with His people. A people that have committed spiritual adultery over and over again. But there... On Calvary, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of God himself, humbles himself to death, even death on the cross, and he says, that's my bride. I'll take her. I want her. She's mine. No matter how much she's turned away, no matter how much she's gone astray, no matter how much she's went away from me, she is mine, and I will buy her back with the price of my life. I want you to know that many times when you break the seventh commandment, you're looking for something. You're looking for love. And you can't find it. Because you want more than love. We all do. We want to be known and loved, right? We want people to know us for who we really are. We don't want to have to put up some sort of mask and hide behind some sort of thing anymore. We want people to know us for who they really are, even the deca- deepest and darkest secrets of our life, because if you really knew the darkness of my own heart, you may not love me. You may not like me at all. You may not want me around, but we know that that's our great desire. We want to be fully known and fully loved, and what I can promise you here this morning is there is only one who fully knows you. Jesus Christ, our Lord, knows the deepest and darkest secrets in your heart, the ones you forgot. He knows everything you've done, everything you've committed, everything you've wanted to commit and hadn't had the courage to do so. He knows every part of it. And guess what, friend? He still loves you. He still loves you. And so the call here is not for you just to, to cower away and say, I can't do it, I'm defeated, I'm broken, I'm undone. The call here is for you to realize there is someone who knows you're defeated, who knows you're broken, who knows you're undone, and he is waiting with his arms wide open for you, saying, come to me if you are weary and you're tired, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you everything you're longing for. And when we break the seventh commandment, we're looking for something that we will never find until we find it in Christ. We're longing for something that the world could never give us in a thousand websites. We're looking for something that the world could never give us in a million movies. We're looking for something that only Christ can give us to be fully known and fully loved. Christ goes to the cross and says, I know every part of you, and I love you. And there, he purchases his bride. And what he's doing today, what he's doing today is what Ephesians 5 says. He washes us with the water of his word. God's going to take his bride, and he's going to purify us. He's going to wash us. He's going to cleanse us. He's going to cut deep sin out of us but every time he cuts deep his grace is all the more loving he's going to make us into his bride spotless without blemish or wrinkle he's going to present us to himself one day and just like today some of you may say that's me here's where i am i must turn back to christ today may be the day that jesus washes you and waters waters you down with his word and makes you a little bit more holy after him Is that today for you? Jesus loves you, friend. Don't hesitate. Don't delay. Come to him. He knows you completely. And he loves you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. You are good to us. And God, we are desperate for you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the salvation that he has brought. We thank you for the love that he has shown. God, it would be impossible for me to preach this sermon this morning if it weren't for Christ. But because of Christ, it must be preached. Help us, Father, to know that this is life and death. Help us, Father, to be a people. Everyone in this room who recognize that we are thirsty and Jesus gives us water without payment. Let us not waste that, Father. But let us flee to Him. And that's my prayer now, God. That the hearts in this room would flee to Christ find their comfort there if it be so father someone be bold enough to say today's the day it's over I'm going to the one who loves me even though he knows me I'm standing here God I'm ready we're ready but now father our desire even more than that is that they see the open arms of a savior who's ready All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and sing.